Hey everyone, I'm Julie Gunlock, your host for the seventh episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. So today we're going to be talking about kids and screen time. That, that seems like a subject on a lot of people's minds. And to talk about that with me is Naomi Schaefer-Riley, um, who is with us now. Hi, Naomi. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I um, I am so excited to talk to you about this. Um, and before I before we get too much into it, I do want to di- give people sort of a quick bio. Um, Naomi is a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. She's also a senior fellow at the Independent w- Women's Forum, who, um, who actually sponsors this podcast. Um, Naomi focuses on child welfare issues and foster care issues. Um, She specifically analyzes the role of faith-based civic and community organizations in changing the foster care and adoption services landscape. Truly important work, and I really encourage everyone to read what she's written on that issue. It's a Sometimes it can be a hard read, Um, but Naomi does not just focus on one issue. Um, She has written on interfaith marriage, higher education, faith in general, and even the condition of the American of American Indian communities in America. Another really tough subject. Um, I'm a huge fan of your books, Naomi, and um, and everything that I I think you really deeply look into issues um, and you give some great analysis. And this issue is particularly important to parents. And even on that. I mean, first of all, I should say that uh, Naomi has written six books and is raising uh, and she and her husband have three children. So I <laughs> I don't get how you do it all. Um, her <laughs> book on screen time. Um, I can't even do laundry. Um, her book on screen time is called Be a Parent, Please, which I love. We have to talk about your title. Be a Parent, Please. Uh, stop banning seesaws and start banning Snapchat. So Naomi. Great to have you here. This obviously is a big subject right now with parents with a lot of school districts, including my own. I don't I, I I know your kids go to a private school, so I don't I don't specifically know their situation, but my my school is all virtual. So I think screen time is is something that all parents are concerned about any any day of the week. You wrote your book in 2018. It was, you know, it was a very popular book. Obviously, parents were concerned about it, but now it's totally different. So maybe you can tell me a little bit about what inspired you to first write the book, but then also um, you know, <laughs> how have your feelings changed or how do you think parents sort of feelings on this issue have changed? Yeah. So thanks for having me, Julie. And, um, I'm excited to talk to you. You're one of my favorite people to talk to. Um, <laughs> and thanks to IWF for sponsoring your podcast. I'm excited okay. to listen to it too. Um, so I would say that my interest in this probably began when my kids, uh, were much younger. So my oldest is, I have a 13, 11 and an eight year old. And my interest in this really began when my youngest was just, you know, in preschool. And I just remember, um, just a lot of scenes where adults would be trying to talk to each other and their first reaction in order to get like, you know, time to like, to be able to talk to each other was to just hand the child, however young right. in right. a stroller, a phone. And it was just like, Oh, look here, I'm just buying silence. <laughs> 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 I just thought, well, it seems to be 
super effective. And yet I wonder if this is such a good idea. Um, And so, you know, as uh, you know, as I, my kids got a little bit older, like, you know, we sort of wondered like, how are we going to, you know, balance this and like, when is the appropriate time to give screens and when is not. And, you know, I mean, it's not like I I was going to be a parent who was always plopping my kid in front of the TV, but I really want to understand the research behind, um, behind screens and understand how they affected kids, social and emotional and intellectual development. Um, you know, I would say that things are not great. They don't look good. Um, and so uh, I, I looked at a, a lot of different aspects of this. You know, I, I, I think people try to make a lot of distinctions about the different kinds of screen time. Like, is it educational or is it interactive? Um, and what I sort of decided after looking at all the research was that I kind of threw it all into one bucket. Um, because I do think that what screens do above all else is they take time away from other things. And you and I both know this well, you know, time outside, time playing with other people in person, um, time reading books. Um, And so the extent to which it really kind of interferes with all of those things, I think it's a problem. And then I began to sort of wonder how I was going to form rules around screens. And what I found that it was, um, you know, I compared it in a couple of articles and in the book to dieting, um, which is sort of you have got to stick to the rules for a significant amount of time before right. you start to kind of break them here and there. And oh, that's that really why, hard. Is that for- why I'm failing? Oh, this is, this is, this is see, see with, Naomi, with Naomi, you get all sorts of tips about all sorts <laughs> all of tips. All sorts of advice, yeah. All right, go on. I'm sorry. No, and and I think, you know, it it seems like it seemed very harsh when parents found out, like, oh, your kids don't get screens at all except on the weekends. You know, parents are just, <laughs> how do you enforce that? That's crazy. And I have to actually be like, it's actually much easier to enforce that than to enforce the, well, you can be on screens from 620 to 835, yeah. and then we'll yeah. have an argument at 835 about whether you need five more minutes. <laughs> Instead, I could be like, oh, it's Tuesday. Sorry. Have a great day. You know, I have, and, I, ha- I just have to interrupt you there for one second and say, it is astonishing to me, the number of people who say exactly that to me, how in the world do you enforce it? Well, you've got a great tip there. Just make like a blanket, like not, you know, not on school days, not during the week. But I also feel like, like, have you tried being a parent? Like your ne- the title of your article, like, have you tried saying no? My husband always says that he goes, he always says like, did you try saying no? You know, it's just amazing to me that people sort of forget their role as parents is to set these rules. That's, that's sort of basic. Right. And we set them in all sorts of other ways. I mean, you know, right. your parent, your kids probably don't ask you for chocolate cake for breakfast because they kind of know what the answer is going to be. But frankly, right. if you said yes tomorrow, you know, the following day, they would probably ask. And I think that that is what, you know, that's sort of the the very practical sort of key that I came away from just talking to lots of parents and teachers and psychologists and my own experience about how to limit it. I would say that in answer to your second question about kind of where we are now, um, I think what happened at the beginning of the lockdown in March is that parents sort of entered what I called like emergency parenting mode. So yeah. we've all been in a situation where we give a kid a phone because suddenly we find ourselves like, you know, at the doctor's office and there's a two hour wait, or we find ourselves like stuck right. in a traffic jam for, you know, hours on end because there's been an accident and there's nothing else. And you just, you give the kid the phone because frankly, like everyone in the car is done and you right. just have to. And I think people sort of entered that emergency parenting mode in March and then, you know, April, May, June came and they never quite got out of it. Um, And, you know, I wrote a piece sort of early on saying like, okay, guys, like you're going to have to understand we're kind of in a new normal here. 
And, you know, not to say that you wouldn't maybe add a little more screen time to your day as a result of the fact that we're all home and driving each other crazy. But once you sort of, you know, start to change the rules on kids, they're going to start to have these new emergency parenting expectations. And that is where I think things really went off the rails. Well, you know, I'm glad that you brought that up because I wrote a piece in the, in the, um, in June and it was sort of a, you know, a long form essay about how my kids were really struggling. Right. And it was, it was very personal and I didn't have a lot of data in it. It wasn't very academic. It was really just my own story and my kids and how they fared during the virtual, the, the switch over to virtual learning. And one of the lines that I said in that, and because, you know, I am strict on, on screen time, I do like you, I sort of do a blanket uh, ban. And then there are, there is time on the weekends, but they have friends and they're, you know, they want to play. And, and, and so I, you know, I, I let them play a little bit on the weekends, but they have to earn it. They have to do certain things. Um, but when when they went to the all virtual and they were on on class or in class all the time, and let let me just be clear, they weren't in class all the time. I would catch them on YouTube. I learned how to block a lot of these things. They would find ways around mm. it. Their yeah. friends would send them through Bing if I didn't if I you know blocked Google and not Bing. And then they oh gosh, it was so frustrating. But like the idea that oh yes, kids are just going to sit there, you know. And I mean, I can't hover constantly. But yeah. the thing that the line that I wrote, I said, you know, I felt like because the school was frankly, just, it was just a free for all. I felt like I was sharing custody with an ex I did, that didn't share my parenting philosophy. <laughs> That's actually a huge issue, by the way, yeah. in divorces and separations now. <laughs> like, and, and of course, it's like the dad who's always giving more screen time, like, I'm sorry to stereotype, but it's like, here, have an iPad. And like the right. mom becomes the bad guy. It's right. really terrible, but it's, it's a really common story I hear. But anyway, well, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. That's, that's exactly what I want. You know, it's, I think that's the problem is, you know, your book is saying, be the parent, please. But, you know, and, and really do parent, just parent, you know, do like the basics of parenting and tell your kid, no, they're not going to get a screen. But I really, I think that's one problem that I've had. I mean, I've actually managed to turn it around to my kids to, I've sat down with them and I've said, look, you're bug eyed. Cause you know, two of my kids do virtual and mm-hmm. I said, and I'm homeschooling my third. And, and I said, you know, I am, you're bug-eyed when you get off that screen. I can't, you cannot, because someone want to watch TV, someone want to watch, you know, a YouTube video or whatever. And I say, you know, first of all, there's no screens on the weekends, but also, you know, you've got to, you can't even watch TV. You got to go outside, get some fresh air, ride your bike. And they have been really good. My kids are like, they, they sort of know not to argue too much. But again, I feel like it's a little tough because their school is saying, here's a screen, sit on it for six hours a day. And I think some parents might have just kind of given up. I mean, how do you challenge that? You know? Yeah. I think, you know, before the lockdown, I was a big fan of sort of really parents getting involved and asking schools, like, why can you explain to us your theory behind screen time? Like explain to us why my child is doing, you know, multiplication tables on this app instead of just doing multiplication tables. Like I want to understand what you think is the added benefit of using a screen because if they can do it just as well without a screen, then I would just prefer to stick with that. Like why can't I just have some worksheets? What is, what is the big deal except that you're, you know, you, you think that the kid is going to find it more fun. But frankly, a lot of times it just means that it's that much harder to kind of keep the kids you know, attention with other things when, when they do actually have to sit down and read a real book. Um, But I think that, you know, and I encourage parents to even talk to their school districts about like, so, you know, who is paying for all this technology that you're bringing into the classroom and what kind of arrangement do you have with them? And have you looked at any of the research behind whether this is actually adding, like even the research behind, um, you know, how much more kids get out of listening to things when they're taking notes by hand instead of taking notes on a laptop 
fascinating to me. You know, how many high schools are actually taking that into consideration instead of just saying, okay, everybody take out your Chromebooks and you can start taking notes now. Yeah. Like, to, to me, we need to be holding the school's feet to the fire on these questions. But here we are, you know, a lot of schools are doing remote learning. So my older two have half remote learning. Um, and, and it really is, talk about bug-eyed, I mean, especially because they're, you know, they're in middle school. And so in addition right. to the hours that they're spending on screen, then they're doing hours of homework yep. on the screen afterwards. Yep. And so, yes, like you have to be the parent and say, like, go outside, like stop looking at the screen. Like even, and, 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 and the thing is, once they have the laptop, like then it becomes the, you have to check in every five minutes to find out if what they're doing is actually what they're supposed to be doing, if they're just kind of playing around, you know, if they're required to be doing that now or whether it's something that could be put off to later because it's like you and I, like we could, you know, sit around all night and, you know, not go to bed until one o'clock in the morning right. just, you know, looking at crap online. And, right, right. But, but the thing that I always tell people is that, you know, we, like our generation knows what it means to be bug-eyed. We know when right. we've had enough. We know when we've wasted huge amounts of time. And we also long for certain things. Like we know how nice it feels to be able to go for a walk and get fresh air. We right. know what it's like to sit on the couch with a book uninterrupted for hours at a time. Like, yeah. And so we will naturally sort of try to, I think, get back those experiences at some point. But if your kids have not been Never had it, right. kind of raised that way and they don't understand those pleasures, it's really hard, I think, for like you to announce to a 30-year-old, hey, wouldn't you rather be outside <laughs> or reading a book? Like, right. They don't have any recollection of what that would be like. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also, you know, they don't have the self-discipline. You know, there is something yeah. about that, which is really which really bothers me is they treat these kids, like you say, like they're 30 year olds, like they have some sense of, I mean, you know, my children, and, and I, I want to back up just a little bit and say, it is astonishing to me what has been turned into uh, a screen lesson. Uh, my child has reading, uh, you know, they, they have a reading class, right. And they go in and and he has this database of books he can read online. And it just amazes me that a school district can hand out, you know, I mean, well, now they're giving food out to anyone. Um, you know, you don't even have to qualify for free and reduced price lunches. That's a whole nother issue. But they can, these school districts can give out, you know, food and can give out a whole bunch of other things, but they can't send a book home to a kid or, right. or you know, tell, tell the parents that of means, like if you can go to Amazon and buy a $3 book, you know, we have a lot of kids books. So I make him go upstairs and choose the book that he's reading, you know, at night. And he sits, he curls up in a chair because he doesn't have to be online during this time. And he reads. And, you know, that's a little thing that to me kind of gets him used to holding a book, sitting in a comfortable place, not sitting, you know, stick straight up at the, you know, dining room table. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and if I weren't directing him to do that, he wouldn't do it. He doesn't have the self-discipline. And he certainly doesn't have the self-discipline I mentioned earlier to stay in class, to stay focused. You know, there's he can email his friends. He can get, you know, a, again, he can look at different applications, whatever, you right. know, if it's YouTube or whatever. So that's the thing that bothers me, too, is that they've advanced this technology on kids who really do not have the maturity to control themselves. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true, and and it just it it's it's going to take a long time. I mean, like I said, adults barely have the you know uh, the ability to control themselves when it comes to these devices. And I think that's the other thing too. By the way, I often hear like parents saying, "Well, you know, I feel bad telling him to get off the device because I'm not getting off the device," or like I'm saying, you know, and I. I 
fine. Like maybe you should change your habits too. But I also right. think kids are different. Like, you know, yeah, you're exactly. not, you know, you're not letting your kids drive or drink or all sorts of other things either. And a little hypocrisy <laughs> here, frankly, does not bother me. Like I, I'm, no, exactly. I'm, kids are different. Their brains work differently. And, yeah. and maybe they should, you know, maybe you do spend too much time on the screen, but that doesn't mean that therefore, you know, you should, you know, let your kids spend too much time on the screen as yeah, a exactly. result. Like, I mean, get I, over I, it. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 my children went through a very brief and I can't, I cannot stress the word brief enough of guilting me for being on my phone. And then when I had the conversation with them about how I was going to fine, 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 I'll go to an office and you'll go to the aftercare at school. And, <laughs> and I mean, I, I actually faked that I had the paperwork and I was filling it up, filling it out. And man, they were so upset. They stopped guilting me after that. Cause I pointed out, look, I'm on my phone cause I'm working. I mean, I, I wasn't, right. I was probably, you know, buying something on J crew. But the point is, is that, uh, that, that you're right. Kids and parents are different and kids need to understand that. But I also think it is important to have some self-discipline around your kids. Um, you know, yeah. Um, you know, I, I try to, to, you know, not, not do that thing where you can scroll endlessly on Facebook and like look at videos. I mean, and I, look, I follow Jacques Pepin and some great like food videos and it's fun, but I think it's really important to have that self-discipline too. And, you know, that's what your book was so great about. I mean, it was like, you know, be the parent. I mean, you talk about one thing and I'd, you know, I, I kind of would like to talk about this too, because in the midst of this, you know, my kids are getting older. I have a 13 year old too. And I don't know about you, but I feel like my kids are the only ones that don't have a smartphone, at least my, my 13 year old. And this doesn't happen with that my 12 year old. That just changed for us this month. <laughs> well, that's interesting. And I'd love to talk to you about that. And that seems like, you know, I think in your, I don't remember what recommendation or if you gave a recommendation in your book specifically on an age, but you know, yeah. what's this, what's the research on that? What are your feelings on that? So I, you know, I think that, uh, you know, for, for me, I I think a lot of this is going to be kid dependent. Um, you know, do you think that your kid, you know, has the self-discipline and also there are going to be questions about school. Like, I, you know, do you think that the the school is actually, I mean, our schools have rules that say you may not be looking at your phone during school. And I'm actually fairly confident in both cases that it's not happening. Um, and so, but I would have to say like, if, um, you know, if there is a, uh, you know, if there's a situation where you're not sure if that's happening, and, and there was a point at one of the schools that um, my kid was attending where the, the the girls were all sitting around at lunch. They weren't, you know, going outside or anything. They were just sitting there texting each other, like playing on their phones. They're like, this is not an acceptable environment for me to, right. you know, send my kid with a phone. Um, you know, I would say, you you have to be willing as a parent to take on a whole new set of responsibilities. It is a time suck to be able to not only worry about checking your own phone, but now you have to worry about checking somebody else's. Um, We don't have any, the kids do not have any social media at all. Um, And so, you know, definitely I think frankly, the, you know, the phone and the internet access, which is very hard to sort of control from the phone, um, you know, allows all sorts of things to come into the phone. Um, I say this, you know, now families allow all sorts of things to come in through the back door that they would never allow through the front door. Um, And so just being conscious of that, and are you prepared to take on that level of commitment? Um, And how mature is your kid? Um, You know, are they, are are they, uh, you know, sneaky when it comes to other things? Like, and are they capable of putting this thing down. Like I can tell you that my daughter who's now she's 13 and a half, I can tell you 
she genuinely loves reading. And I will tell you that there are many times where I find like the phone somewhere on the other side of the house and her engrossed in a novel. And I, I feel totally confident as long as that continues to happen, that she has not become too engrossed in her phone. If I see that the phone is replacing all of the other things that she enjoys doing, then forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm still at the phase where my son's friends text me and then I have to hand him my phone. And so I lose my phone for a few minutes. So he texts to him, uh, texts to his friends. I actually don't think my son is ready for that. And I do think that it would sort of suck up all of his time. I think he would, and he's sneaky. I mean, I love, I I feel bad. I should, I feel like I shouldn't say this stuff about him, but he's, he's a 13 year old. He's a little sneaky. And so I'm not ready for that, but you know, that's what I love about, um, it's this, this conversation is sort of, a good representation of the podcast itself, which is bespoke parenting. I really think that people need to make these decisions and, you know, uh, you know, that are, that are best for the, themselves and their kids and based on their kids. And like you said, I, I, I sort of came to this and I, I kind of hate the word parenting philosophy, but I kind of came to this belief system um, because of, uh, you know, early on talking and reading Lenore Skenazy, who I know you're familiar with. And Lenore is great about that. You know, she's a free range parenting advocate. She says, you know, get your kids out there, let them explore the world. But certainly, you know, if you've got a really nervous kid or an immature kid, she's not going to say like, oh, you know, let them walk, you know, six miles to the mall. You know, I th- didn't I just date myself by saying walk to the mall? Nobody says that anymore. <laughs> Nobody goes so, to the mall. <laughs> so Gen X. In any second now, I'm going to bring up, you know, Eddie Van Halen dying. Yeah, any second, yeah, any I second. Um, I so I, so I, but I will tell you, you know, I, I like that is that you do need to make these decisions, but I, but one thing, or, you know, based on the kid, I wouldn't, but by the way, I'm a big fan of wait until ace. I don't know, you know, whether your listeners are familiar with that. I really do think like, uh, eighth grade, if you, if you can't, if you don't know, wait until at least eighth grade to get your kid a phone, because I do think that there, there has to be some level of maturity there. And, and if you're going to sit here and tell me, like, I think my third grader is super mature and able to handle this, (laughs) I'll just laugh at you and be like, no, they're not. And I actually have mature kids. So I know what a mature third grader looks like and forget about it. Um, But I also think as much as you're right, that people need to make these decisions individually, it also helps to have a critical mass of people who are making similar decisions for their kids. And I think there's so much pressure now. Everybody has a phone mom, everyone, you know, jumping off the Brooklyn Bridge, whatever it is, um, that I think parents need to have a sense that there might be somebody else out there who's also worried about things. And what I like about the wait until ace model is they actually have, I don't know whether your school has done this, but our school has, you know, done this thing where you can sign onto this pledge that says I'll wait until eighth. And what they do is as soon as at least I think 10 families in the grade have signed it, then they send it around. And so now you're aware of like nine other families that have made a similar decision. And I think it gives parents a little bit more of the, um, you know, backbone that they might need to be able to make this decision for their kid too. Listen, I don't, you know, I, I really, I want to stay on the subject, but I, we've only got you for a short while longer. And I wanted to talk just, you know, just in the next few minutes that we have left, you wrote a really provocative piece in commentary called My Kids and Their Elite Education in Racism, How Rye Country Day School Reflects the Madness of Our Times. I I want I want you to talk about that just because for the listeners who who the, the people who are listening I, I want them to read it and I really if you can just give a quick this is a, an amazing piece first of all is have PTA meetings gotten awkward or parent teacher well are, we we left uh-huh. <laughs> I was actually not going to write that piece and then try to stay um, so, 
a lot of people have asked me that, and I just I feel like I should make that clear. Yeah, I was. Um, I was yeah, we. Yeah. We were done. Um, so I transferred my kids to this. Uh, it's a private secular school near us that has a very good reputation. It has a good reputation for, especially for academic rigor. And I knew that I was going to be in for some nonsense politics, but I never imagined what actually happened. Um, and so there were lots of instances that people can read about in the article. Um, but I would say, uh, you know, uh, my sixth grade son was coming home with, you know, having regularly listened to lectures on microaggressions. You know, he had to come home and tell me that, you know, we learned today that just because someone is wearing a dress, that doesn't mean they're a woman. Um, but there was a lot of there was a lot of race discussion there. And I felt like it was the constant backdrop. Um, there was a speaker who came in for Martin Luther King Day, um, an ex-felon, someone who'd been convicted of armed robbery, wow. uh, wanted to come in and talk to the kids middle school kids mind you about bail reform and um i just i was it was it was insane i just thought you know not only is this ridiculously political but why you need to celebrate martin luther king day by having an ex-felon come in like this is the example of you know the the shining example of the of the of the black person that you want to show them um but my kids you know my my husband is black and so my kids you know often were the recipients of invitations to come to diversity meetings and students of color meetings and um, you know, and they they turn them down, but but mostly, you know, I think the thing that sort of got me more than anything else um, was this this kind of idea that uh, we're going to sacrifice the academic rigor for the politics. So. Yeah. Uh, there was one meeting we had, uh, you know, where my daughter was, you know, wanted to get into a higher math class and she, you know, asked for more, you know, difficult work so she could get into the higher math class next year. And, um, you know, not only were we met with shock that, you know, this might damage her self-esteem or undermine her life balance. Oh, wow. Um, but, but then the meeting ended with them suggesting that she come to, like, our Girls of Color pizza meeting, you know, this week or something. And I just thought... I am not here to talk about that. Like, I'm here to talk about math, <laughs> and, yeah, and, and, and everything for you is about race. Well, and it drives home to these kids that they're seeing your skin color. I mean, you're, you're not, you know, the constant invitations to join these clubs, and the, but that are based somehow on on race is just, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a strange message. I mean, I've been affected by this myself. I pulled two of my kids out of the public schools. My youngest is still in the elementary school, which really is 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 very. I mean, it's a sweet little neighborhood school, and we haven't seen too much um, in the way of of the race issues. But um, we have we have uh, we've seen some really disturbing things. And 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 I'm you know I'm obviously I'm sure a lot of listeners are aware of the 1619 project. The superintendent in my school district and the public school district announced that you know he plans to deploy that into the school and. You know, my kids are a little bit older. They're starting, they're both in middle, the olders are, are both in middle school. And this is where I feel like, you know, kids really pay attention and, and it's really critical. And and I've heard from other people that the, you know, some of the curriculums have already started to change the way they're teaching them. And so, again, I felt like you did where it takes away from sort of, you know, the sort of basics they should be learning. Um, I don't, object to these conversations happening that, you know, some, you know, you know, obviously talking about, you know, George Washington ha- being a slave owner or, you know, many of the other issues, but, um, it, but it, it really does take over 
And, um, and again, you know, some of the activism I was seeing on the teachers parts and on the administrators parts was making me nervous enough that, I mean, for us, it was a really big move. It was, and it was sort of sudden for us to do, uh, to to do the second child who's now in a Catholic school. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think, I think parents are really sort of getting fed up with this stuff, getting frustrated with this stuff. And I think it's getting, like you mentioned, like, you never expected it to be this bad. I think it's accelerated. I think that. I, it, oh, I absolutely think so. I mean, toward the end of the year, like every Zoom meeting had, a you know, Black Lives Matter fist yeah. and the rest of it. Um, I think that's accelerating. And I also think um, the danger for me, and this is the part I sort of get to at the end of the piece, is like, I think, you know, we live in a lovely community and my kids have been totally embraced by, yes. I mean, they, they were at a Jewish day school, they've been totally embraced by, you know, friends and neighbors and, you know, our synagogue and, you know, they've never been made to feel like they're different. And I just think that, you know, what's going to happen is all of these lovely, nice adults and children that we know, you know, are going to be made to feel like they have to walk on eggshells because anything they say to us, you know, could be a microaggression. It could be wrong. It could be the wrong thing. Uh, And so what's your natural inclination if that's it? If you have to walk on eggshells around someone all the time, you start to think, maybe I should just avoid this interaction altogether. And to me, that is like, that's the biggest danger here. I think Americans are, you know, hugely tolerant people and, you know, interracial marriage and interracial adoption, all these things have been going up for years, for decades. And I just think people are going to take a step back and be like, I don't know if I if right. I should be doing this. Like I could get, you know, hammered. I could get I could lose my job. I could say the wrong thing and that would just be the end. And and to me, like I don't I don't understand how these people don't see that coming. Yeah. Well, yes. And you know, and then you have well, yeah. You mentioned earlier I've really encouraged parents to get involved and and to, you know, be a voice and ask ask tough questions. Well, I did that when my superintendent uh, um, mentioned on video, this was hilarious. He actually denied he said it. And so I sent him the video and I even told him, go to 55.23. Like I told him exactly where he said (laughs) that 1619 was going to be deployed. And and he's like, no, I didn't say it. Anyway, so, so I do this and he writes back to me in this, it was, it was insanely aggressive. It, it was upsetting to me. He was very, um, he was, he, he was very angry at me. Now I, when I sent him that saying, I'm concerned about 1619, I mentioned, you know, John McWhorter, I mentioned the, his, the scholars and historians who have objected mm-hmm. to it. I, I mentioned yeah. Clarence Page, I mentioned the 1776 and it was, it was definitely giving it to them like, Hey, you may want to check out this criticism. I was not, you know, the, the popular phrase, I was not a Karen. I wasn't screaming. I wasn't angry. Yeah. I was just yeah. trying to give them information. He responded so viciously back to me. And then a school board member called me a racist. And it was so upsetting to me that I, I, I spent a couple of days like, and I'm sensitive about this stuff. I mean, I, I, I should be tougher, but it really, it jarred me. It upset me. Yeah. And then right after the George Floyd, um, um, the death of, of George Floyd, the same superintendent got on, on a, a zoom call and basically talked about, I mean, this was to the parent community, talked about how he's constantly having to deal with microaggressions and racism and a, sort of suggesting that, you know, he faces all this, all the, this horrible treatment by parents which was a signal to parents. And he said, like, people, parents complain to me and I have to deal with racism every day. It signaled to parents, don't bother. 
You know, like yeah. I'm like, you're going to be painted. And, and around here, I live in a very liberal neighborhood. Nobody wants that label. So no, it's, no, God forbid. It's a real, it's a real way to shut down. And so I worry about parents getting involved and par- I think that there really has been, you know, parents are discouraged from doing that. So no, it's, there is a real silencing going on here. And it's not just like this broad thing we call cancel culture. Like it's, it's right. just, it's, it's what people know, you know, people have learned um, to avoid. It's, it's the, it's the speech you're never going to hear um, right. because people, you know, know better and they just know to just keep their mouth shut to begin with. And that the example has been set by all these other people who've been canceled. And now just, you know, who, who wants to just go from being a private citizen who expressed a slight concern to a school committee member to becoming like the town racist. Right. And, you, you know, know and, nobody and wants that. Nobody wants that. And, you know, it does carry, the, the repu- re- there is retribution. I mean, when you start to get, you know, you start to think, oh gosh, you know, are my kids going to, you know, some, some families worry about sports placement placement. I, oh, yeah. I, I didn't grow up in sports, but you know, you think about how you grew up. I, I did not grow up in sports. My, we are, we, my maiden name is Vincent. We are an awkward people and <laughs> we don't, we do not play sports. Um, and so, so, but I have this very sporty kid. And so I, you know, people have said to me, I've actually been warned. People have said, don't, don't complain too much because they'll remember you. And so that's yeah. the kind of thing that just makes, if you're, if you're like, if you're advocating for a certain thing or, you know, you know, raising an alarm about certain yeah. thing and that harms your kid, that's yeah. a way, that is a way to silence. That's a way to silence me. I mean, yeah. it hasn't worked yet, yeah. but you know, yeah, that, that works on people. No, I, I, I absolutely feel it. I was talking to somebody who was trying to start a conservative paper on campus. Uh, the paper had been defunct for a while, and he called me for some advice because I worked on a conservative paper when I was in college, and he yeah. said he asked several people to write for the paper, uh-huh. um, and he said the first thing they asked is if they could use pseudonyms. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> It's so so that'll tell you where we are right now. That, that will tell you. Well, listen, I know that uh, that I, I I have to to bring this to an end, which is sad because I have so much fun talking to you. And I could and I think that we've just only scraped the the top of the issues here. But you are 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 wonderful to talk to about these issues. I really hope people will look up Naomi's book. Naomi, do you want to just give us a little bit your Twitter or any you know projects you're working on right sure, now? Sure, yeah. No, you can go uh, look at, find any of my articles at NaomiRiley.com. And uh, also I have a website, a AEI Scholar page. Um, my Twitter handle is Naomi S. Riley, where I mostly tweet my articles and occasionally retweet some other funny things. Um, and then I have a book that's going to come out in the spring about child welfare. It's called No Way to Treat a Child. So I hope everyone will check that out when it comes out. Great. Well, listen, thanks so much for coming on. And I hope you'll come on again because, again, I think we have a lot more to talk about. You've been great. Thanks so much. Thank you, Julie. Take care. Thanks, everyone, for being here for another episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. If you enjoyed this episode or like the podcast in general, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. This helps ensure that the podcast reaches as many listeners as possible. If you haven't subscribed to the Bespoke Parenting Hour on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, please do so so you won't miss an episode. Don't forget to share this episode and let your friends know that they can get bespoke episodes on their favorite podcast app. From all of us here at the Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening.